Welcome to The Teaching Edge, the podcast where we explore the intersection of education and technology, from the latest innovations in tech to best practices for integrating technology in the classroom. We are here to help teachers and educators stay current and find new ways to enhance their teaching and their students' success. Join us as we discuss the latest trends and innovations in educational technology and hear from experts in the field. Get ready to level up your understanding of technology and take your teaching to the next level with the Teaching Edge podcast. Visit our website at theteachingedge.org. Welcome to another wonderful episode of the Teaching Edge podcast, an interview that was very inspiring for me with Dan Sandu, the CEO of Sparks Learning. And one of the key features of our conversation is the reason for technology as a means to an end and not an end in itself. We talk about how Sparks are improving lives of students and teachers with personalized homework and much more. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Um, we are here at um, the uh, Teaching Edge, and I'm very excited to have with me here today Dan Sandu from Sparks Learning. Dan is the CEO of Sparks, and Sparks are making a big difference every day for teachers, learners, and families through technology, but more important, technology that drives learning in a very personalized way, creating a lot of leverage for every teacher. I'm very grateful to have Dan join us today, and he brings huge experience in education, both in the UK and internationally, a real influencer in the world of education technology, a regular speaker about education and technology, an investor in the field, and has a big mission for Sparks. We'll soon talk about this mission. So uh, let's get started, Dan. Welcome to the Teaching Ed podcast. Welcome. Thank you for inviting me here. Really appreciate that. That's wonderful. So let's start with, uh, you know, uh, tell us about yourself, about Sparks Learning, um, what you do today, how this got started, and so on. Brilliant. Excellent. So, so I've been in education for a long time. I started off as an investor in education uh, a, long, a long time ago, investing in early stage companies. And then that, that progressed slowly to being an advisor on the board and taking up executive responsibilities while building education businesses. I'm, I've not, and it's very important to understand this, and I'm sure we'll come back to this, I've not been a teacher before. And that's a really important thing to understand that I'm doing this because I have a passion for education, not because I was a practitioner. And there's a very subtle but very important difference in that, in terms of mindset, and in terms of the kind of people you surround yourself with. It's very important to know that. So I'm not a, I wasn't being a practitioner, but I've been in education and education technology for a while. Um, that, I mean, I, I took over Sparks about five years ago. Um, initially, Sparks was in essence a research institute, which had been researching the different ways to deliver maths education in the UK since about 2010. I got involved in 2017 with a view to actually taking that and making a real impact in the world. At the time that I stepped into the role of CEO at Sparks into end, end of 2017, early 2018, we were looking after about three schools in the southwest of England in Exeter. We had about 500 students and had about 10, 15 teachers using us. And that was a real start and real pilot phase. And it's really important because it's a part of the journey of how to bring build a sustainable long-term uh, uh, proposition in education. Over the last five years, we've grown significantly. We are currently in over 2,000 schools um, in over nearly 60% of all schools in England use one of our products. We have a footprint in about 23 countries with schools ranging from Chile, Ecuador, the US uh, to um, the Middle East and out in Australia. And that's an early 
view of what's happening in the market for us in terms of understanding international. Um, for us, just to give everyone a bit of an overview of what Sparks delivers, Sparks has been very much focused on mathematics and mathematics homework in particular. Uh, we have a number of other projects we're working on and building up, but we're really focused on mathematics and that's to help support teachers uh, able to set mathematics homeworks for students. We are obviously um, delivered in English. We're based on the English UK English curriculum and all the uh, different awarding bodies in the UK, but we, we are flexible enough to make sure that we follow the scheme of learning, of different schemes of learning with schools. So as the teacher delivers mathematics in the class, every week the homework is automatically set. It's personalized for every student. It's automatically marked. However, and this is a really important aspect, we expect all the students to handwrite their workbooks and show their workings. So we are very pedagogically focused. It's not just tapping a keyboard. It's not just multiple choice questions to get the answer right. It's very detailed. We have over 45,000 questions. We have 10,000 videos, which are very comprehensively done. We had a content team with the best mathematicians and practitioners from the UK, Cambridge University, Oxford, Warwick, et cetera, to create exceptional pedagogically exam quality uh, questions. And that allows to make, uh, ensures that we have exceptional content. And I, you know, and again, we'll talk about that later how I think content is a heart uh, of education. Um, and the, so the Spark story has been really owning that math space in the UK, maths homework. We've got a bit of a footprint in the classroom as well, but predominantly in the kind of maths homework space. During the course of the last few years, we acquired one of the other big players in mathematics, Hegarty Mathematics. So Hegarty is part of the Sparks framework as well. And over the next 12 months, the products are being combined to create one Sparks Maths product, uh, which, which, which will happen in the next 12 months. So that's sort of the story from where we started to where we find ourselves now in terms of own, owning that uh, ed tech space in the UK. That's um, that's uh, really amazing. And, um, uh, you know, we'll soon talk about what Sparks does and, and, uh, and, and what the product actually is. But, you know, already you've mentioned things that uh, just bring to mind a, a, a very interesting question, uh, which is how do you explain... Um, uh, the big growth in just a short span of time. Obviously, you've brought a lot of the uh, business experience into the mix, of course. And um, but there is something obviously essential about the product really, really fitting the uh, the, the needs of the market for it to really be uh, growing so uh, so substantially in the UK and beyond. Uh, yeah. What is the key factor for this? What is this uh, uh, strong match? that you think uh, is happening here? I think it's really important to remember that to deliver effective um, support for teachers and students and to deliver an effective education technology product, it needs to be sustainable. It needs to be long-term sustainable and required. You have to address the need. You don't create a product, then look for the problem. You need to look at the problem first and then figure out how you solve it. We're very fortunate that we have 25% of our staff are ex-teachers. We work very closely with schools. So there are a number of schools that we've worked with for many years, nearly 12 years, to make sure we hone the product and hone the proposition and really understand the schools. I think we are in schools nearly every day. When during the pandemic, it was very difficult and we're getting back into the rhythm of yeah, being of in school every day. So the growth story literally is around uh, teachers telling teachers. It's about having promoters within the schools. And, and you know, the, the, we'll, we'll talk about the product shortly, but it's about making sure sure that 
you have your own support base within the school network. And so when one head talks to another head, they promote it. And, and we have a relationship, not just with the maths teachers or the head of maths, but the head of the school. And, and where need be the head of the multi-academy trust, because we think it's really important to get that top level buy-in. And therefore, you know, you're really working on the purpose and vision more than the product. So we don't talk about the functionality, we talk about the mission and the purpose and the benefits. And for education, that's the way you have to approach it. This is not another coffee machine. It's around making sure that you really understand how what you're doing solves the problem for the teacher, and effectively gives an outcome to both the students while giving comfort to the parent. So you've got to get those three parts right. So um, so let's start with the vision and the uh, uh, and the problem. What is really the problem that's uh, that's being solved here? Uh, that uh, that that really makes teachers, you know, tell other teachers and uh, and you know, school heads to be um, working so closely with you. Uh, what is this vision and what is this big problem that you're solving really? I think, I think from a purpose and mission perspective, the purpose was very simple. I was very clear to articulate this many years ago. We want to make sure we significantly improve the life opportunities of children and students around the world. And to do that, we need to make sure we are enabling teachers and we are motivating students. And this is based on research-based technologies, not just technologies which we think make a difference, but they're supported by pedagogical research. So the, the mission is all wrapped around making sure we're enabling teachers, we're motivating students, and we're doing this based on research-based technologies. And from that mission, you get the vision of actually how do we articulate that is and we articulated by how many millions of students we, whose life we can change when I when I when I when I started at Sparks the vision had been that we would change the lives of 1 million students by 2025 we've surpassed that we're already yeah. at 1.9 million but and then, you know, so I rephrased the vision to make it 5 million students by 2030 and I think we'll, we'll shoot past that as well at some stage. But the aim is to make sure you can articulate that so that you, you really can identify what success is. And it's really important to know what success looks like. And if you can identify success, you know you're going down the right direction. Um, and therefore, you attract like-minded individuals to join the team. You attract like-minded schools to be your partners if you're articulating it in that respect. So that's sort of that's so what the purpose and the mission has been. Um, it's underpinned, and let's not underestimate it, it's underpinned by having very strong values, very strong values about caring for the team, very strong values about being empathetic, about being united as a team, about being very ethically driven in terms of what we're doing with the data and being making some data-driven decisions, uh, but also always about learning, to make sure that we're learning collectively as a team, and that's where we live in. And that, again, allows you to make sure you've got the right team around you. It allows you to make decisions in the right way and you've got to weigh up whether you're making commercial decisions or impact decisions and they're not necessarily the same thing sometimes sometimes they're in total conflict and for us impact always wins and we always have to make the impact decision first uh, and my philosophy always is if you are impactful you are commercially sustainable if you are commercially successful, you may not be impactful, therefore you will not be sustainable. So make sure you're impactful because that will make you commercially sustainable and a long-term proposition. Excellent, excellent. I'm taking notes as we speak. Uh, it's very good. 
So uh, how do you, um, by, by the way, what you said about, you know, really, uh, really measuring as you, as you, you know, as you are mentioning, what you want to measure as, as the number of students you impact, uh, this really reflects in the product itself, which is highly measured all the time. So, um, so, um, so if we go, you know, step by step, now I want to talk about really what is the problem that you are solving? Yeah. So what is this particular so, problem? How do you communicate it? So I think I think we step back um, and before we talk about the problems being solved by individual products or propositions, let's step back and think about you know what the environment and the ecosystem is. We're in an ecosystem. We're in the UK. Let's start. We're in the UK. We're solving um, educational outcome issues in the UK, which are driven by uh, a teacher workload which is unsustainable, uh, by um, content that needs to be exceptional, by a process which is still governed by. Uh, examinations at particular points, you know, for, you know, summative assessment points, um, in an environment where you know people could easily argue that content is ubiquitous and that's not a USP. So you you can have this very weird environment. So there's a number of problems we solve. Firstly, we solve the teacher challenge problems. That is the workload the teachers have and the inability to humanly do a lot of the things they need to do because of the distractions they have in, in, in the day life in terms of not being able to teach administration, workload, managing other aspects of that life rather than the academic teaching. So first it's clearing that administration workload, making sure they actually have time to teach. That's one aspect of it. Um, and that, that's also around making sure it's an affordable proposition. So what doesn't cost them the earth to make sure they can deliver that. Secondly, is to make sure that we take the student on the journey and make sure that what we're doing with a student and the content we provide is pedagogically sound. It's validated to understand that it's at the level that the student is operating at, and it's making sure it's an easy and usable uh, technology, not necessarily gamified. We've got to get the balance right between engagement and outcomes. You can have a very engaged student, they learn nothing, or you can have a student that is so unengaged they learn nothing. You get the balance right so they're engaged enough, but they are learning and not just busy on the screen. Um, doing that while remembering the core piece, precepts of, of education and what's required in terms of ped pedagogy, in terms of deep learning, in terms of uh, designing the content in a way that drives learning. So getting that balance right. The problem, if you look at the product, the Sparks Maths, the, the homework product, the problem that's solving is ensuring that students do one hour of maths homework every week regularly and it's completed and they move forward. And so that that process, and while doing that, you're providing information to the the, uh, the students on how to do the questions, providing video tutorials as you're doing the question, making sure that there's a process in place so they write down their workings. There's a process in place that marks it automatically. However, they have to write their workbook. It's you know old fashioned, but they have to write everything in their workbook, and we know when they don't. Very clever technology we have that knows that when they don't. So it's not just tapping a screen; it's actually writing workings, and that information is then shared with the teacher who knows how long it took someone to do the question, how many times they looked at the video, and how what, what challenges they had. And it provides information to the teacher about all the students when the homework is set 
how far they've got it, how many people have started the homework, how many students have it, when have they completed the homework, information to the head of math to see how individual classes are doing, in, in, informa information to the head of the school in terms of how math is performing at the school, information to the head of the multi-academy trust in terms of how the, all the schools are performing. So it's an information flow to the, to the student, to the teacher, and to the school. And importantly, to the parent. So the parent will be getting an email every week or contact every week about what their ward, their child, their daughter, their ward is doing in terms of maths that week, what homework they're doing, and a help video for them so they can move up in mathematics as well, because parents are notoriously scared of mathematics. Uh, and therefore, you want to make sure the parent goes on the journey as well. Yeah. So, um, so really, you started with saying that this really you, uh, you ensure that um, uh, that the student does one hour of homework of math per week. That's correct, yes. And um, so explain a little bit how this works. So they get, a, 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 I understand that they get assigned, you know, personalized problems. And yeah. uh, and uh, how, how does this, uh, how does this not become, you know, another one of these, you know, online websites where they just get uh, problems to solve? I think I think what we have to look at, we have to look at two things. Firstly, we need to make sure we have actual evidence and research that it works. There is no point doing anything in education unless you can evidence the efficacy. There is no point, and I, I, I advocate, uh, I set up something called the EdTech Evidence Group. And I set that up because I wanted schools to challenge EdTech providers to say, do you provide evidence that what you're doing makes a difference? Yeah. Not just engage the students, but what evidence do you have that it makes a difference? And that's really important. So we, we are very, very persistent in making sure that we have evidence, not only that the students are engaged, not only that they do their homework, which is great, but they actually learn. And so we, we shared all our data with RAND and with Cambridge University's Faculty of Education. They ind we independently commissioned that research. We published all our research on our website. From the very simplest question, does homework make a difference? Forget maths. Just, should people do, should students do homework all the way through does how does sparks maths homework support a child in learning all the way through from learning um, the, the pedagogical process of it all the way through exams so we 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 want to monitor that the school students are engaged in homework and moving forward and the teachers know this is happening as well and the teachers are providing that support so what do you find then from your research how much homework is the right amount for? Uh, that's a million uh, dollar question. That's a million dollar. So we, 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 we actively look at this. I mean, you know, we've over the years, we've fluctuated between anything between about 50 minutes to just over one hour. And we can, we're now roughly between 55 minutes and 65 minutes. It doesn't matter how good you are at math or how much you need to develop in math. It's about the same. If you're, if you're good at math, it doesn't mean you finish your homework in 20 minutes. You get more. If you if so, you get more questions. If you're finding it challenging, you'll get less questions but more support. But it's about the same time, and that seems to be very effective. We've you know we've got really positive feedback from our schools. We have uh, you know school retention rates of over ninety percent, uh, higher than ninety percent. We have teachers feeding us back all the time. So we're always learning. It's never perfect. We're always learning. But that seems to be about right now. Now whether the students themselves like doing one hour maths homework a week or not. That's up for debate, and we can we can debate debate the merits or not of homework. And you know, I don't know how you were as a 11, 12, 13 year old, and whether you would enjoy one hour of maths homework a week. Everyone's different. We think it's a good thing, and we kind of encourage that engagement. We get the parents on board, 
and we don't really get objections about the length of homework um, at all. That's not not the challenge we have. Um, the challenge we always have is to make sure it it works very well for each student. Yeah. So how how do you make it to work well for each student? How do how do I you do this have, uh, personalization part? So we have a fairly so I'm, I'm quite vocal. I'm quite vocal in the industry about smoke and mirrors. I'm quite vocal about people standing up on stage and saying how AI is going to solve the world. Yeah. Just that's just silly. I mean, the teacher's there to do the job. The teacher's there and is the closest person to understand how everyone's going to deliver. The teacher's there, the closest person who can actually support the learner um, and understand how each learner is operating. What we do is enable that. So we're, we're really lucky um, that we, we've got a great platform, we've got a great um, uh, technology platform and an AI engine which works underneath to personalize our homework, to make sure it's very adaptive, to make sure we understand the learning patterns that each student has, their behaviors on how they answer questions, the time it takes, how many videos, in, how many times they need to look at the video, how many times they get it wrong before they get it right, and therefore we can go on that journey. It is very difficult. I mean, it's very difficult. And I say that openly. It's taken us many, many years to get that right. That sequencing of questions is the biggest challenge. And we, you know, we have an internal um, um, research team. We have an education research team internally, which is forever doing that, forever looking at that model and saying, is it right? Is it right? Can it be better? Can it be better? And there is, it's, you know, for my, my per, it's, 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 you know, our version of easy AI or human interface AI, where we're actively involved in that process, it doesn't go into a black box and an answer comes out. Absolutely not. We are really actively involved to make sure we review that model on a regular basis. So, um, so let me ask you about this uh, sequencing. When you say sequencing, that does that mean that you would recognize um, what the next problem should be or the next instruction or the next video should be it's about what, what it's about what the next problem should be to reinforce reinforce the learning or to fill in the gap if okay. it is to make sure we reinforce the learning so you know you may be having algebra homework this week um, but you may have a fractions question dropped in because we remember you had a challenge with fraction two weeks ago. So it's to reinforce the learning, make sure it's, the repetition is there. But in that subject of algebra, to make sure we are dragging someone along at the right pace. And it's not easy. I mean, it's, it's not a magic formula. I'm not going to stand up and say it's going to solve all the world's problems. It is very difficult to get right. And we are learning all the time to make sure we keep refining it. Um, and, you know, it's never going to be perfect. It can't be. That's just be silly for me to stand up here and say we're perfectly going to solve it. It's going to take time. Nor do I say our AI platform can learn a student's journey in three seconds or 10 seconds. Or I've seen people say in 10 minutes we can understand. How no, you can't. It's be silly. It takes weeks. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen I've seen people say well, within half an hour we can figure it. No, you can't. It's just a bullshit. It takes it takes a while to get it right. So we we know for the first two or three weeks, we're understanding how it works. And by the end of the third or fourth homework, we're kind of getting there and it gets better and better. And therefore we know that's how long it takes to get it right and perfect. Yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, once you hear it. <laughs> Once you hear someone else, you know, uh, explain differently, then you might believe differently. But yeah. once you yeah. hear it, it, it makes a lot of sense because uh, it's a it's a complex thing to do. Yeah. Um, now, uh, 
something that's interesting for me to hear. What do you do at the edges, meaning the very good students or, or the ones with many, many gaps? How eventually they need to sit in the same classroom where the teacher has to aim for some kind of average. How, how does working with, with the platform impact this? That's a brilliant question. That's a brilliant question. If I go all the way back to when Sparks was founded and even before I got involved, that was one of the big challenges. You can always teach to average. It's easy to teach to average. You do the distribution curve, you focus on the 80%, life is good. That's not where the problem lies. The problem lies in the bottom quartile. They are the students that need the most help. The top quartile is a different challenge, and I'll come back to that later. Yeah, it's they might be bored. It's a different so what we do is we make sure we don't want anyone left behind. No one gets left behind. So we, because we do multiple years and we will always make sure that the question formulation, it may drop a year for those students. It may go back to what they were doing last year, but they, they are brought along. The more, the more, more experienced students, the more better are, are stretched as well. So each student gets stretched or gets pulled up. So we look at, we look at the edges as much as we look at the average, to be honest. Because that's very important because you want you want the star students who are keen mathematicians and naturally gifted to be stretched as, uh, you know to the next year level question you know if they're in year seven you know year eight if they're in year eight year nine and you want the students below who still are transitioning into secondary to pick up content which is relevant for year six yeah um and then what happens when they come back to the classroom they come so back is, to the classroom. So they come back to the classroom, and the, what the teacher will know immediately is she'll know what the challenges were in the class. So she'll know what the top five problems the children had with that homework, and we'll go through them. And she'll she'll know that because she'll know all the every student's analysis of which ones finished their homework first, had a challenge, uh, you know, took three times to do it, looked at the videos, didn't look at the videos, did it quickly. Um, and who was stretched and did the extra homework? There's optional homework. Who did the optional homework? Who did the core homework? How long did it take? And we'll be able to make sure they spend time doing what teachers do is teaching for the student, not for the average. So they'll be able to know in a class, right, okay, I know I've got four students there that need help. This one doesn't. So that's and you know what we're developing going forward as, as Sparks Learning is much more of a platform which will operate in class as well. So we're starting off with homework, but that'll naturally progress in terms of how we support the classroom. We have about a 50 schools globally that we're supporting in the classroom to take all that learning. And over the next few years, we'll do more and more pieces inside the classroom. Yeah, that's wonderful. What, what are the main things you hear from teachers? What, where, where do they fi find the biggest impact um, Using using the product, I, I think it's really. I think the biggest impact is the time they save. It's the inability teachers have um, to set personalized homework. It'll be really silly for me to do the classic ed tech thing to do is I save teachers millions of hours a year because we don't because they wouldn't do it anyway. Teachers don't have time to set thirty homeworks. So don't be silly. Teachers will set one homework. They won't go around setting thirty homeworks every week for all their yeah. kids. So just try to calculate some number, which is useless. It's idiotic. So I'm not going to say we that wouldn't happen anyway. But what we do is even the base concept of setting homework gets easier because it's automatically set. Teachers have all the right. I mean, we don't, again, no black box. The teachers go, can go in and maybe there was a fire alarm. Maybe there was an issue. They couldn't teach that subject that week. They can take it out of the homework or they can add some homework because they're running ahead of schedule. So the teachers can adapt the homework. They have absolute right to, you know, to make sure the homework is adapted to what they need to. 
Most teachers don't because they you know we're pretty much on track. So that, yeah. that saves them time. It, the, the, the homework automatically gets issued. The, the chasing doesn't need to get done because the teacher knows who's done the homework. And if the homework is due on a Wednesday, they'll know on Monday morning who's done it at the weekend, who hasn't. They don't need to ask the students all the time. You know, they know which three students never do yeah. their homework. So they kind of save that time. The marking is automatically done so that, that doesn't take time. Yeah. The collection of data is automatically done. So what can the teacher spend their time doing? Teach. Yeah. That's what teachers love. The teachers yeah. love the fact that all the administration, the reporting is all done, all that's taken away, all the painful stuff with the teachers have to do gets taken away and is allowed to teach. That's excellent. And, and what, do you, what is your aim in, in measuring? What do you want to measure? Do you want to measure their success in homework or do you want, want to measure their success in assessments? Or do you want to measure their overall attitude towards math, which, uh, as, as you know, many adults uh, work, uh, you know, walk all day with uh, some kind of issue with mathematics because of what happened. So yeah. it's impacting so many different areas. What do you think is important to really I think, measure? I think, I think there's, a, there's, a, there's always been a, I can't do maths boast almost. I mean, there's parents at school gates, which will easily say to other parents, I can't do maths. I don't see many parents at the both saying I can't do literacy. Yeah, yeah. But they're happy to say I can't do math. So that, that's a challenge. It's a human nature. People, people are scared of mathematics for lots of different reasons. And so what we try to do is break down those barriers. We, hence why we engage the parents a lot. Hence why we want the parents to be involved. The parents get communication from us about what homework is this week. And if it's algebra, they'll work. Then we give them some tips as well on how to do algebra. So we're kind of helping the parents. But from, from, a, from what we're trying to solve, there's multiple things. In, in, a, in ed tech, you can get focus on results. You can get focus on outcomes. We like to be focused on learning. In effect, you know, I think my preference is for schools to manage the grades. That's their process. For us to manage the outcomes and the learning. So, for, sorry, yeah. schools to manage the outcomes and the grades, for us to manage the learning. The learning, yeah. What we wanted is evidence of learning. Did what we do, not just engage the students, because we want the students to be engaged, of course, but yeah. are they learning? And we can tell that they're learning because we can see how they're able to speed up in their ability to answer questions, tackle more problems, or we can present more problems. So for us, it's always about, about the efficacy of learning, the evidence we can gather, the data we can gather. With 1.9 million children doing the homework every week, we can gather a lot of data. Yeah. Now, um, uh, let's touch the, just on one of the points that you mentioned about writing homework. Yeah. Um, why is it important and how do you uh, make sure this happens? <laughs> I'm not going to give all the secrets away. You know that. Okay. <laughs> so, so I think it's really important. I, just, I, I suppose some of our pedagogy is very, very traditional. Um, I personally like the concept of, you know, having a pen in your hand all the time. Even the current world where the pen is electronic, doesn't matter. You, yeah. There's something about learning by writing. And, you know, if you look at some of the readings, uh, some of the, the, the kind of research done on the concept of learning, writing, learning, writing with your hand is something which happens when it, it drives more learning in the brain, actually enables a learning process. Um, tapping on a screen is interesting, but the retention isn't there. Writing drives retention. So what we'd ensure is that all the questions that get answered on Sparks, they have to be written in the workbook. The workbook has to be given back to the teacher. The teacher looks at the workbook, I imagine like the teacher looked at my workbook all those years ago to see what a teacher wants to see. Is it neat? Are all the workings there? 
Is it not just the answer for the workings? If there's a mistake made, would they have got the marks right for the workings as well as the answer? And to enable that, we have a bit of technology which makes sure we nudge, it, nudge the students to do them. And as the homework progresses, we continually remind them. And there's, there's little ways we have to do that, which ensures that you know, on, on, the, on the Wednesday morning, the teacher won't just be told by the system that the homework is done, they will have the pile of workbooks which I remember from my days at school that, you know, you dreaded handing your workbook back to the math teacher. The difference in this is the workbooks that the teacher received are already marked. Yeah. The, the students have almost self-marked all the workbooks. So the teacher doesn't have to mark them, which our teachers used to. Now they just know, they look at the workbooks, they can pick a workbook. And, you know, we on Twitter and social media, we see teachers taking photographs of workbooks and tweeting them. They're exceptional. They're just brilliant. I mean, you look at those workbooks and think, my God, my workbook was never, never that neat. That's for sure. Yeah. And, uh, and, you, and you mentioned the time it saves. It's, yeah. uh, I, I think it's, mo it's more than the time that you need to create individualized homework. It's actually grading. We know the teachers, uh, the one thing that they, that they would rather not do is grade all their It's life. taking books so, home. It's yeah, taking yeah, yeah, I had yeah. teachers who used to finish at 10 o'clock every night grading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so yeah. That, that's, that's got to help. And, but, you know, you, you still want to make sure all of this ed tech, everything sits with the teacher. <clears throat> We've got to be really clear about that. You can't at all undermine the teacher. You cannot overwhelm the teacher. You can't disenfranchise the teacher. The teacher has to be totally enabled. The teacher needs to say, this is a tool that is helping me teach. And if it doesn't answer that question, the teacher will not adopt it. The teacher should not adopt it. That's my, because why, why would you make the teacher's life any more difficult? And there's enough challenges in the world for the teacher anyway. So the teacher, if the teacher can answer the question, does this make my life easier? I'm, I'm sure the teacher's also interested in, does this make the children learn? And that's, that's important as well. But yeah. let's not kid ourselves. You're not going to get to that question until you get to the first question. Mm -hmm. A majority of the teachers, teachers will say, does this allow me to teach? Then if it allows me to teach, I can actually deliver the second answer that it makes it better for the students as well. Yeah. Because otherwise, you, you're going to have a, a large subset of teachers who are unable to find the time to get to question number two in yeah. terms of helping students. So, that, so that's really important. And and it's not easy. It's very difficult. I mean, a pan the pandemic made a big difference in the perception of ed tech. Uh, this was always a challenge beforehand. I, mean, we, you know, I was at a conference last week and people were talking about how has a recession affected teaching and education. I think <laughs> it's the same difference. Schools never had money before. You have to go back 20 years when schools last had money. So don't tell me that the recession has changed spending habits somehow. The schools never had money. It's just, you know, they really just have to be careful where they spend it all the time. Yeah. So um, uh, when uh, when you look at the the, uh, the impact of technology, really, yeah. what 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 you're saying is really that the biggest impact is enabling the teacher to do their job better. Really, I, th I think I think there's there's a number of things changing the classroom at the moment. I think during the pandemic, this the UK government, in 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 their wisdom, issued lots more one to one devices very important. So the classrooms became a lot more techno technologically savvy. And I think that technology in the classroom still has lots of challenges, but that, that was one of the big steps forward. And I think that's, that's really Im important in terms of understanding how ed tech plays a role. You know, you need the tech, not just the ed. You need the, the ability to, to deliver that. I think with 
with trying to make sure technology is impactful by way of making sure that at least in the home environment, be it on, on, a, on, a, on a, a Chromebook, Chromebook device, laptop, desktop, or mobile, uh, students are able to do their homework in whichever, whichever uh, device is available, but ideally on, on, on a, a laptop device. But I think that's where we focus all our efforts on in terms of from a homework perspective. We'll, we'll get to looking at the classroom environment again, as I said, in the next few years. Okay, so um, so if we look at the future of Sparks, uh, yeah. where do you see developing um, other subjects or uh, different methods? Where where is it going? I, I think you know we enjoy supporting teachers. We enjoy supporting teachers in classroom. Homework's been a great start for us. I mean, it, you know, it sounds a bit old oh, after five years and being in nearly 60% of all English schools, I say it's a start, but it is a start. You know, we, we've got a, it's a big journey ahead for Sparks. And I think for us, we're exceptionally data-driven. So we're always talking to our stakeholders, be it the teachers or the students, or the heads or the heads of multi-academy trust. What we don't do is develop technology for the sake of technology. Um, it's about developing systems which impact the students and make a difference for the long term. So for, for our journey going forward, yes, maths has been our predominant, overwhelming piece, but we're starting to look at other subjects and see, can we adapt our learnings in other subjects in other ways? And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to everyone about that once we've got there. We're really fortunate that we have a research and development team within Sparks that is forever testing new ideas. We have a number of pilot schools around the country we work with, um, and that's, again, Addressing the same challenges, you know, in, you know, maybe in maths, maybe in other subjects of how do we address those challenges of the teacher being able to spend more time teaching, make it in more digestible form for the students and keeping content as, as, as the heart of what we offer. So do you, do you see this expanding to other STEM areas or even beyond STEM? I think I think you know we're looking at a number of areas, and you know we we take our time to do everything. It's, it's about again, as you said right at the beginning, uh, we'll do some research. We'll make sure we get some research done to make sure we we do it right. Um, you know, I think the STEM areas are really interesting because you know we've got a maths as a good base, but that doesn't mean we 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 put literacy to ones. And I'm really I'm a big fan of literacy. I think literacy and numeracy go hand in hand in terms of one of the core uh, globally recognised competencies. That, you know, ones foundational competencies required under the United. Nations, uh, UNESCO, um, and the, the the SDG goals, literacy and numeracy are really key, and I really want to focus on those areas. Yeah, wow. Um, one final question: um, uh, In the hopes that many many uh, teachers will get uh, to know the technology, to know the products, where do they go? How do they find it? I, I, I How think, do they get started? I think it's really important in in, in EdTech to look at from a, from a school's perspective, the overall digital strategy. It's really important. You, you, you shouldn't just go buy a product or a solution, be it curriculum or be it infrastructure, be it attendance or reporting. You really need to step back and say, as a school, and you know, it's independent, majority of schools are on their own, but even multi-academy, just what is the overall digital strategy? How does one use technology in the whole school? both in terms of learning, in terms of administration, in terms of reporting, in terms of teacher training, in terms of informing the parent. And I think that becomes, once you do that, then you can step into there and say, within that overall framework, where does the, how, what are the problems we're trying to solve that can't be solved or are solved in an ad hoc manner that needs to be, need to step back and solve. And within that, and for our, from a Sparks perspective, what curriculum 
technologies are required to solve that absolute learning evidence. I, I think I would always encourage um, teachers to, you know, look at the, uh, you know, the, the kind of the, the non-profit I set up called the EdTech Evidence Group. And there's a number of guides and tips on the EdTech Evidence Group in terms of how to choose technology, how to focus on research, sorry, how to understand your evidence, uh, what is a problem you're trying to solve, the fact that there's different types of evidence, look at pedagogy, look at the rigorous way EdTech is developing pedagogy. Is it, is it just a marketing ploy? Is it a systematic pedagogy within an EdTech which continues not just for marketing, but for developing new products? And ultimately, having the agency to challenge. You know? Sometimes I feel schools don't think they can challenge technology because it's it's tech. Forget the technology. Look at what the problem you're trying to solve is and challenge based on the problem. Ask the ed tech providers the really key questions. Pedagogy questions. Ask some pedagogy questions. Again, no technology involved. Ask them how many schools have used the product for how long? And saying that one school has used it for five weeks is not evidence. How has evidence been collected and what was a problem being solved? Not the evidence collected. You, you can collect any evidence. What problem were you solving? And have you got evidence? to suggest that those problems have been solved. What type of evidence? You can have everything from school anecdotes, you know, the head of a school said it's wonderful, all the way through to a double-blind randomized control trial at medical standard. Okay, as Sparks, that's what we did. And we did a double-blind randomized control trial. At, at so you can have all that range, but you need to understand what, it, what value it has. Um, and if you can get that balance right, then actually as a, as, a, as a school, you're much better informed and much a better able to challenge before you even get to the technology question <coughs> about what, what you need to solve in terms of that. Asking for evidence is really important. Asking for something which you know, once you implement in your school, it'll be, it has to be there for a few years. No teacher, no head wants to take a curriculum product and switch and switch and swap every year. No, you don't want to do that. You know, you want it embedded, you want to have multiple years of it, and then have a have actually look at the outcomes over multiple years before you make any choices about changing in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, it all makes a lot of sense, but you have to hear it. You have yeah. to hear yeah. it because yeah. it's not, yeah, it's not intuitive at all. Especially with with uh, we are getting used to uh, technology giving you you know instant solutions, and if it doesn't work, find something else. But it's not it's not what you're saying. You have well, to look at the long game. You got to look at the long game because you know think about you know, and and people hate it when I say this, but edtech can do as much damage as good. Just think about it. Not the money. Schools money is one thing. Imagine wasting a child's time for a year on an edtech product which takes them backwards. Yeah. You may be able to get the thousand pounds back, but you're never going to get the time back. So, you, you know, it is the old, old, you know, measure twice, cut once. Don't rush. Take your time. You don't want to get the EdTech product this year. Don't get it. Get it next year. But once you get it, get the right thing. Don't just try to do this to impress your head. Don't try to do this to impress your head of department because it'll come back to bite you if you get it wrong. And it's, forget your ego, imagine the kid's time, geez. Imagine the time you're going to waste of a, a student on a product which you've realized afterwards was a vanity product or not effective. You know, yeah. I, and I say this to people who want to use Sparks, ask us all the horrible questions, please. If we can't satisfyingly answer them, don't buy it. Even Sparks, don't buy it. 
if I if you're not satisfied with anything we say please don't buy it because you don't want that on your conscience you don't want to buy a product which you're not happy with because that's going to be bad for you and you're not going to be able to re recycle it or replace it quickly and you'll be stuck with something you don't want that's unhealthy yeah well I I think without maybe trying I think uh, one of the first questions I asked you when we started was what you uh, um, when you look at at the growth uh, that you've seen and why this happens, and you and you said it's teachers recommending other teachers. I, I think um, I, I think what you've now said really uh, just listening to you talk. I think this idea as a company that you care so much about the future of uh, these children and of making the right choice, and uh, I, I think it it just shines through when people encounter you. I'm sure this is what happens because. Uh, you know, having having known many uh, people in technology, you uh, yeah, you don't hear many people address technology in that way. Looking at the person first, mm. and then later at you know what we can do to help them. So, uh, oh, thank you. I appreciate. Wonderful that. to hear. I appreciate that. I th I think that the, the reality is, um, you know, education is very unique as a sector, as you know. It, it's it's very difficult to equate education to any other sector. Um, because we are affecting the lives of children so directly that it's a it's a moral obligation to get it right. And I always say, you know, it's a moral obligation. If you can do it, you have to do it. There's a moral obligation to do it. Yeah. And if you can get that balance right in your head, it really makes decision-making very easy. Dan, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much. Pleasure. It's been a and, pleasure. Uh, Thank you very much for having to, me. Uh, to 30 million and uh, beyond. Uh, so if I, it was 5 million, I made it 30 million because of 2030. So let's say to 30 million beyond. Thank you. Um, and uh, again, thank you so much. It's been great. Thank you, Madam Thank you. Thank you for listening. This has been the Teaching Edge podcast. And we will see you soon in our next episode. Visit our website at theteachingedge.org.